All right. Glad you guys are here. My name is David. I'm the pastor here at Stonebridge. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Luke 19. In middle school, you guys can slip out if you want. <clears throat> As they're doing that, uh, one announcement. Uh, we're in the process of rotating some members on and off of our admin team. All of our leadership teams are important. This one uh, handles all of the organizational responsibilities at the church. So anything to do with money, so that's budgets, anything to do with HR, so staffing, hiring, and firing, anything to do with the facility, really anything that has to do with Stonebridge as an organization or a corporation, these men and women help us navigate those decisions. They're super valuable to me. Those are areas where I don't always have the ton of confidence in terms of what the best decision is. And I think the fact that we've always had really strong admin teams is one of the things that's kept us healthy over these last 13 or 14 years. So we need you to participate, and the way you participate is by nominating people for those positions. So those nominations are due by Wednesday. You can nominate through our little app, that Church Center app, the link in the email that you get every week. You can just email Kim directly, kim at stonebridgemarietta.org. Up to three people, nobody related to you. Uh, they need to have been in our church for a year and somebody who you would say, men and women, someone who you would say, yeah, I want that person in the room helping make those types of organizational decisions. So it's not just someone who you say, wow, that person's a good businessman or businesswoman. We want someone who, it, with wisdom and maturity, can help us as a church move forward. And that's not always to do the thing that makes the most sense on the spreadsheet. So uh, please be prayerful about that and nominate in these next couple of days. All right, uh, big thing for us for the next three weeks. I don't have a great title or name for it. Maybe you can help me come up with one. 21 days of something, seeking, dedicating, devotion, something like that. We're going to do the next three weeks really focused on my, my phrase is emptying our hands and filling our hearts. So empty hands. Many of us, our arms are full, always. Relationships, opportunities, responsibilities, many of those things are good, but we carry them around. And most of us have a tendency to start trying to control whatever those things are. The people, the opportunities, the circumstances, the responsibilities, that's kind of a ditch that we all tend to fall into. And so for the next three weeks, I want us to be really intentional about releasing control. And so that's going to look like surrender, giving things up, and dedication, giving things over. Those are not the same thing. But that's what we want to do. We want to, when it's appropriate, we want to give things up. That may be things that maybe aren't great all the time. Some of the things that we're worried about or concerned about. It may be things about our future that we want to surrender and say, Lord, that's yours. And then we want to also give things over, dedicate things to the Lord. That may be things like your family, your job, your business. We want to, over the next three weeks, do that really intentionally, emptying our hands so we can receive from the Lord. And then we want our hearts to be full. For most of us, we spend most of our days just trying to manage, just trying to get through. And Jesus is the guy that we ask to help us. So I'm just trying to get through my day and I'm asking Jesus for help in doing that. And I actually think he doesn't mind. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. And so I think he does take joy in helping us. But we can lose sight of the fact that he has an agenda also. 
There's people that he's wanting to seek and save. There are works of the devil that he wants to destroy. There's a kingdom, his kingdom, that he wants to establish here in Marietta as it is in heaven. There's things that he wants to do, and he wants to do those things in us and through us. But for many of us, again, we get so wrapped up in just living our life, our hearts are empty of expectation, of any sense of anticipation that God actually has things he wants to do in us and through us. And so for the next three weeks, I want us to seek the Lord and ask him, what do you want to do in me? In 2021, if that's too broad, what do you want to do with me in the next few weeks? What do you want to do through me? What do you want to do in the lives of the people that I love? What do you want to do in the place where you've put me for work or for school? What do you want to do in this city that I live in? And let's begin to ask the Lord to fill our heart with expectation and anticipation that he actually wants to work in us and through us. So that's what we're going to be doing for the next three weeks. We'll be talking around that and about that on Sundays. We're also going to do three Wednesday nights the next three weeks, 13, 20, and 27. We'll have worship nights in here from 7 to 8. I would love for you to come to as many of those as you can. For those of you who are online, maybe you're not comfortable gathering, we'll have some online. We're, we're going to try to stream that so that you can participate as well. But we'd love for you to come. Again, it's, just, it's creating more space to seek the Lord and to be with Him than we normally carve out. And then for the next 21 days, so this is starting tomorrow... On Monday, we're going to do a fast, a Daniel fast. So that's a partial fast. We're not going to say no food for three weeks. But we want to fast to something that's similar to what we do for Lent, maybe with a little bit more intensity. So Daniel 1, Daniel says he doesn't eat anything but vegetables and drinks nothing but water for 10 days. In Daniel 10, Daniel says he eats no meat, drinks no wine, and eats no choice food for 21 days. So a Daniel fast is some kind of combination of that. If you Google Daniel fast, what you're going to find is the Daniel diet. It's a plan, and it is super strict, and you can do it if you want, and more power to you. That's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to fast. I'm certainly not asking you to diet. But you can if you want to. And if you Google it, that's what you're going to find. There are no parameters for a biblical Daniel fast. I just told you what they are. For 10 days, he ate vegetables and water, and for 21 days, he didn't eat meat, and he didn't drink wine, and he didn't eat any choice food. But again, there's a, there's a Daniel plan, and, you can, or, and it's, a fat, it's a diet, and if you want to do that, you can. What I'm going to do, which is going to be um, awesome for me, is no animal products, so no meat, no dairy, and no eggs, and then no sweets. And so I only have three food groups, and it's meat, dairy, and sweets, so I'm not really sure what... I don't know what I'm going to do. I have the rest of the afternoon to figure it out. After I go eat nachos and some candy, then we'll start tomorrow. And you figure out what it looks like for you to participate. Some of you can't. Maybe you're pregnant or for other medical reasons you can't fast. Don't feel bad about that. Maybe don't watch as much TV uh, over the next three weeks. Just give up something that allows you to uh, shift more of your attention and more of your time to Jesus. That's the point. Some of you are heroes. Don't be a hero. This isn't about how strict your diet is for the next three weeks. The point is not to focus on food. The point is to focus on Jesus. And giving up food is a trigger to remind us to seek him. So if you spend the next three weeks lamenting what you're not eating, you really haven't helped. You haven't accomplished the heart behind the thing. The heart behind the thing is more time and more energy focused on Jesus, fasting as an outward 
sign of that inward desire to hunger and thirst for him, an, inward, an outward sign of an inward recognition that he's the one who sustains us, not the food that we eat. So I would encourage you to engage in, at some degree. If you've never fasted before, I would say start at the shallow end of the pool, not the deep end. It's not gonna, it, it doesn't do you any good to kind of embrace this and say, I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to eat anything but, you know, nuts and berries for the next three weeks and to be done in four days and uh, to, to quit, you're going to feel terrible. So I would say take a step, maybe take one step more than you've done in the past uh, and that will, that'll be sufficient. Good? All right, Zacchaeus, y'all know this story? Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. So Jesus is going to Jerusalem. This is probably two weeks before his crucifixion. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So Zacchaeus ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down at once and he welcomed Jesus gladly. All the people saw this and they began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So Zacchaeus is described in a couple of ways. Chief tax collector. So Zacchaeus is a tax collector and other tax collectors work for him. Zacchaeus' territory is Jericho. And so Zacchaeus, it may be kind of like a customs official for us. He would tax all of the goods that were passing through Jericho to go to Jerusalem or another city to be sold. So that was what he did. He, he would tax everything that was passing through, the wheat, the olive oil, whatever it was that people were bringing through Jericho to then go uh, ultimately to their destination to sell or trade. He would tax that. And he was wealthy. And that's not a compliment in Luke. That usually indicates there's something not so great about somebody's heart. And that's true of Zacchaeus and the guys who worked with him. So uh, the, the way taxes worked during this time, so Zacchaeus would bid for the contract. And so he would commit to giving X amount of dollars to Rome, let's say 100 grand for 2021. And then he and the guys that worked for him, it would be their responsibility to then raise that money because they've already committed this is what we're paying and they're on the hook for it. So the tax rate would most likely be fixed. Let's call it 5%. And so when these goods come through, the tax collectors, they get to decide how much the goods are worth. So they could decide your bushel of wheat's worth $100 or $200 or $500. And then they tax you 5% of whatever that value was. And anything that they raised above that 100 grand that they gave to Rome, they got to keep. And so that's a system open to fraud and extortion. The guys that are setting the value also get to keep any extra money. And so if you're a Jew and you become a tax collector, you're done. They kick you out of the synagogue. If you enter someone's house as a tax collector, 
everything in that house becomes unclean. If you want to use your money to help the poor, the rabbis won't take it because you're a tax collector. And the assumption is you got it from stealing from a fellow Jew. Tax collectors legally are in the same classification as murderers and robbers. That's where they're put. Zacchaeus was a tax collector and he was wealthy and he was despised. Nobody in Jericho likes him. The assumption is these guys are getting rich by stealing from their brothers and sisters, fellow Jews, and they're giving some of that money to this pagan Roman government and they're keeping the rest for themselves. Nobody likes them. Nobody likes them. So that's Zacchaeus. He's short, which comes into play. And he wants to see Jesus, which is interesting. He wants to see who Jesus is. Remember, this is the end of Jesus' public ministry. No cell phone cameras, no TV cameras. So Zacchaeus has heard of him, but he's never actually seen him. He doesn't know what he looks like. He's probably heard of some of the miracles Jesus has performed. He's probably heard some of the teachings that Jesus has given. I'm thinking as a tax collector, maybe he's heard that Jesus actually has a tax collector named Matthew in his inner circle. And that may have caught Zacchaeus's mind. Maybe that's kind of caught him a little bit. And he's wondering, well, I wonder, I wonder what he would think about me. I don't know if it's embarrassing to climb a tree. I haven't climbed a tree in a really long time. I don't know if you have either. It's certainly not the most dignified thing an adult male can do. And for Zacchaeus, it does highlight his limitations. I mean, it highlights the fact that he's short and a lot of guys don't necessarily love that. So again, I don't know how much desire he had. I think it goes beyond idle curiosity. He's willing to push through an obstacle, the crowd, overcome a limitation, his height, maybe put himself out there a little bit, risk a little bit of embarrassment, or at least be willing to be seen up in a tree. There's a bit of being a spectacle there that Zacchaeus, he's willing to do all of that because he wants to see who Jesus is. And then Jesus sees him and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I must, I must go to your house today. It's a necessity. It's essential. It's imperative for me to come to your house. We'll circle back to that. And Zacchaeus climbs down from the tree and says he immediately receives Jesus gladly or with joy. And the crowds are upset. They start muttering and they're going, this guy's a sinner. Why would Jesus eat with the sinner? Remember, sharing a meal with somebody was way, way, way more significant than just eating together. It signified friendship, relationship, acceptance. So for Jesus to say, Zacchaeus, I must come eat at your house, he's saying, I, I, I got to be in a relationship with you. And for Zacchaeus to welcome Jesus into his home is to say, I'm accepting you. I'm accepting that offer. So I do think Zacchaeus climbed up the tree as a sinner, 100%. I think he was a thief. I think he stole from his people. He extorted. He defrauded them. But I think he climbed down from the tree as a son, which is what Jesus says about him. This too is a son of Abraham. When Jesus, or excuse me, when Zacchaeus climbed the tree, he was a Jew. He was racially, ethnically, he was already a son of Abraham. But that's not how Jesus reckoned sonship. That's not how Jesus reckoned participation in the family of God. Sonship or participation in the family of God has to do with what are you going to do with Jesus? And Zacchaeus has responded positively to this invitation. I must come to your house. And Zacchaeus says, all right, come on. It's an expression of, again, of, of relationship, of, of faith. And Zacchaeus also demonstrates a profound degree of repentance. 
Half of what I've got, Zacchaeus says, I'm going to give to the poor. So you've got two cars, you're giving away one. You've got 10 pairs of shoes, you're giving away five. You've got 20 shirts, you're giving away 10. Think about all the stuff you have, and I'll cut it in half. A radical gesture from Zacchaeus. If I've defrauded anybody, and he certainly has defrauded lots of bodies, I'm going to give back four times. The Old Testament says you give back 120%. So if I steal 10 bucks from Ben, I have to pay him back 12. Zacchaeus says I'm going to pay him back 40. An incredible gesture that shows the change in his heart. It's a demonstration of repentance. He climbs up a sinner, he climbs down a son. And Jesus says, it's for this reason that I came, to seek and save the lost. That's why he must go to Zacchaeus' house. That's why he must eat with him. That's why it's essential, why it's necessary. It's a fulfillment of his mission. Zacchaeus climbed a tree because he wanted to see Jesus. Jesus stepped down from heaven and didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped and took on the very nature of a servant and lived and died because he wanted to seek and save Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus climbed a tree. Jesus hung on a tree because he wanted to reach Zacchaeus and wanted relationship with him. And that one encounter in a tree where they lock eyes and Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I've got to come to your house. It changes everything for him. My prayer for us, children and students and adults, over the next three weeks is that each one of us would have an encounter like that with Jesus. That we would have one of those life-altering interactions with him. Many of you have already made a decision to follow Jesus, and it's wonderful. But for all of us, we can always stand to have our faith strengthened, to have our faith renewed, to see Jesus uh, in a new and a different way. None of us have exhausted what it is to be in relationship with him. And if I were to ask you, I wonder how many of you would say, if I'm, if I'm the most honest, I would say my relationship's a bit stale right now. It's a little bit dry. I'm in a bit of a rut or a routine. And my prayer for all of us, again, children, students, and adults, is over the next three weeks, we would all meet Jesus afresh and anew. So two things from Zacchaeus for us to keep in mind as we embark on this 21 days or whatever we want to call it. One, Zacchaeus climbed a tree. Are you willing to do the same? He climbed a tree. He was willing to push through some obstacles, overcome some limitations, put himself out there publicly in a way that maybe was a bit embarrassing. He was willing to do all of that because he wanted to see who Jesus is. And I want us over the next three weeks to pursue Jesus. I don't want us, the word is seek. I don't want us just to spend time with him, although that's the foundation of our relationship, I want us to hit the gas a little bit and seek him with a little bit more vigor or vigilance than we normally do. That enigmatic verse, the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing and forceful people take hold of it or people enter it forcefully. I, kind of, I want us to embrace that over the next three weeks and to move with a degree of boldness and intensity after the Lord. God says that you'll Seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And so that's what I want us to do. It's not about performing at all. It's just about focus and a bit of intensity and intentionality around seeking him. So what does it look like for you to climb a tree for the next three weeks? It may be simply coming on Wednesday nights. That's outside of your routine. That's not the thing that you normally do. That's not how you spend a Wednesday night. 
And honestly, sitting here right now, you might be thinking, that's not how I want to spend a Wednesday night. And maybe you need to push through that level of apathy that you might have to say, no, I'm going to be here. I'm going to pray and I'm going to worship for an hour on a Wednesday night. Maybe you need to get up a little earlier or stay up a little bit later to create a bit more time to seek the Lord. For those of you who maybe aren't comfortable gathering, we'll have these. Bo's going to make a a playlist that you can worship at home for those of you who are um, online and that's where you're comfortable right now. Personal worship, creating some space to do that. There's a list of books up there. They're missionary biographies. I always think it's helpful to be inspired by somebody who ran or is running a little bit faster than I am. And those stories, they can spur you on. So maybe a little bit less Netflix and a little bit more inspiration over the next three weeks. Not just entertainment, but something that actually edifies and inspires you. Those are they're easy books. If you say you don't have time, if you read 20 pages a day, you can read a 400-page book over the next three weeks. None of those are that long. Find something else, something that inspires you in your pursuit of the Lord. Climb a tree. Fast. For some of you, just do that. Fast for the next three weeks. Figure out what it looks like for you to climb a tree. Some expression of desire, some expression of commitment, for lack of a better word, to say, I'm going to seek you with a bit more intentionality than I normally do. Climb a tree. I think you'll meet the Lord in a new and a different way. And the second thing you see from Zacchaeus, and it's repentance. Repentance in the New Testament is defined as changing your mind. So it's an internal reality, but it always plays out in your life. You can't change your mind without changing your behavior or changing your lifestyle. Beginning of Luke, in Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist comes on the scene and he baptizes people. And it's a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And what he says to the folks is, There should be fruit. There should be fruit in keeping with repentance. There should be some evidence that you've actually changed your mind. So he says to the tax collectors, here's the evidence. You'll stop collecting more than what what, what you need to. You'll stop overcharging people. He says to folks, here's evidence. If you've got two shirts and you see somebody who doesn't have one, you'll give them one. There's evidence of the fact that you've changed your mind about some things. One of the ways that we can understand sin is disagreeing with God. Every place that we disagree with God, by definition, that is a sin. And so repentance is moving from disagreement to agreement. I'm no longer going to disagree with God. I'm going to begin to agree with Him. So over the next three weeks, a great entry point today into these next three weeks is through repentance. Beginning to ask the Lord, where am I disagreeing with you? Where do I need to change my mind? And don't think just about things that are spiritual or things that in your mind are moral. Jesus is the Lord of every aspect of our life. And so we need to give him access to every aspect of our life. That prayer from Psalm 139, Holy Spirit, search me and know me. Show me where I'm offending you. Where? Where am I offending you? Where am I disagreeing with you? And I know many of you in the places where you're disagreeing, you're not doing it but shaking your fist at Jesus. The conveyor belt of our culture pulls us away from Jesus. Very, very few things in our culture move us towards him. If we're not intentional in terms of seeking, the pull of our culture is going to move us away. There's very few things in our culture that naturally agree with the Lord. 
And again, if we're not intentional and we wind up just agreeing with our culture, by default, we're going to be disagreeing with him. Again, it's not necessarily from a place of arrogance and rebellion and shaking our fist. Occasionally that's true, but I know most of you and that's not the case. It's just the inertia of living in a secular world. And so to fight that requires some intentionality on our part. And to begin to ask the Lord, show me, where am I disagreeing with you? Am I disagreeing with you about COVID? Am I being too careful and scared? Am I being too cavalier and careless? Am I disagreeing with you about politics? Am I putting too much of my identity in a party or who won or who lost? Am I disagreeing with you about issues of race and justice? Am I disagreeing with you about how I use social media? Am I disagreeing with you about what it means to be a husband? You say I'm supposed to love my wife like you love the church. Am I disagreeing with you about that? Am I disagreeing with you about what it looks like to be a wife? To honor my husband? Am I disagreeing with you about being a parent? Not exasperating my kids. Not provoking them to anger. Training them in the way that they should go. Am I disagreeing with you about being a son or a daughter? Am I not honoring and obeying my parents? Ask him. Am I disagreeing with you about wealth? I'm acting like it's all mine and it's really all yours and I'm just a steward. Am I disagreeing with you about work? Unless your work is in an unrighteous field, God wants to use you where you are. What am I disagreeing with you about? Where do I need to change my mind? Do I need to change my mind about a particular relationship? Do I need to change my mind about a particular decision that's in front of me? Give him access to all of those things. If... If repentance is moving from disagreeing with God to agreeing with God, I want you to think about, and that's going to have practical consequences that's going to be expressed in your life. What do you think, which way is most likely to produce good fruit? Is it disagreeing with God or agreeing with Him? Of course it's agreeing with Him. He's always at work for our good. One of the reasons we don't experience those things is because we disagree with Him. We need to change our mind. We need to repent, move from disagreement to agreement in every area of our life. And so we want to give him access. He's not going to overwhelm you. He's not going to give you a list of 27 things. That's overwhelming. He's a great parent. He doesn't do that. But he is going to bring up one or two things. None of us follow him perfectly. There's going to be one or two or three things, and he's going to put his finger on them, and it may not be what you think. And there's a level of trust to even ask the question, Once you're convicted, you own that knowledge. You can't say, well, I never knew. So once you ask for the Holy Spirit to search you and know you, he will do that. And what he brings to mind, you then are responsible for, and so am I. And at that point, it does become a shaking of fist at the Lord if I don't repent. Because he's put his finger on it and he said, I need you to change your mind about that. And if I don't, well, that's blatant disobedience. That's flat out rebellion. So there's a level of trust to even say, God, I'm willing to allow you to convict me. I'm going to trust that if I'm disagreeing with you, that agreeing with you is actually for my good, even though I can't see it. But I'm going to trust you with this area of my life. So let's, let's just go ahead and do that. Go ahead and close your eyes, if you will. And I want to encourage you to pray two things. And none of this is heavy. My hope is that it's exciting for you. My hope is that the Lord will begin to stir a sense of anticipation and expectation that over the next three weeks... You're going to seek him and you're going to find him because you're going to seek him with all of your heart. And he longs to be found by us. He's not sitting, he's not hiding from us. 
So if you're willing, pray something like this in your heart. Let's start with repentance. Holy Spirit, search me and know me. Show me the ways that I'm offending you today. Where am I in disagreement with the Father? And maybe a couple of things come to your mind. And I would encourage you in that area to say, God, I want to move from disagreeing to agreeing with you. I want to repent. No expectation around what the fruit of that will look like. You can lead me in that Holy Spirit as well. But right here in this moment, I want to acknowledge I've been disagreeing with you about fill in the blank. And I don't want to do it anymore. And the second thing I would encourage you, if you're willing to pray something like this along in your heart as well. God, I want to be willing to climb a tree. Would you stir within me a deeper hunger and a deeper thirst for Jesus? I want to want you more. I want to desire you at a greater level. I confess there are limitations, there are obstacles. I look at my schedule, it's an obstacle. I look at my own level of desire, it's an obstacle. Look at the responsibilities I have. They, they're obstacles. God, I want to push through. Show me how. Give me mercy and grace. I want to put myself in a position to see you and to be seen by you over these next three weeks. So would you stir a hunger and a thirst in me? Even as I cut out certain things out of my plan, out of my diet, out of my routine. I pray all of that would just be an outward manifestation of an inward hunger for you. God, that's my prayer for every one of us, for our kids, for our students, and for our adults, that every one of us would meet you in a new and a fresh way in the next three weeks. We've got people who are desperately sick and they need to be healed, and we pray you would do that. We love people who are running as fast as they can away from you. And we want them to be saved in these next three weeks. We have marriages that are on the rocks and they need to be reconciled. We have children who are rebelling against their parents and parents who are provoking their children. And those relationships need to be reconciled in the next three weeks. We have people who are desperate for direction And they need to hear your voice in the next three weeks. We have people who are in bondage to debt, to anxiety, to depression. And they need to be set free in the next three weeks. Jesus, would you come and would you surprise us? I pray that when we gather here on January 31st, everybody, everyone has a testimony of what you've said, of what you've done, of what they've experienced. We know that you're a good God and you desire, you desire to meet with us. And so in our faltering and stumbling ways, God, we want to express desire to meet with you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with a worship and I want you to stand and sing along with Bo. And we also want to open up the front. And for some of you standing on the tree, climbing a tree, 
is just walking here and allowing somebody to pray with you. You can kneel over there on those um, chairs if you want, and we'll leave you alone, or you can come and stand and kneel here, and we'll put a hand on your back and pray for you. If God convicted you of something and you know you need to change your mind, we'll come here as an outward expression of that. If you're desiring God at a greater level, come here as a, and stand up here as an expression of, of hunger and thirst for Him. We want you to respond quickly, and everybody else shall worship along with Bo, and we'll be done in two or three minutes. Thanks. You guys go ahead and stand. All right, we're glad you guys were able to join us this morning at the beginning of our three weeks of seeking after God, of dedicating this time and surrendering to Him. Um, yeah, and so we, as, this, as David was preaching, um, just was asking uh, God to show me really, really what, what are some things really to come back to. Um, and so much application in this. I'm sure uh, your notebook looks similar to mine. Lots of points of application. Um, and, and so I would encourage you this week, spend a little bit of time with the Lord, reading through, walking through Psalm 139, asking God to show us the ways that we are disagreeing with him, ways that we are diverging from what he has for us, where there is sin in our lives. Um, for me, this is probably best really looking at, um, different categories and walking through each and every one of them and asking God, is there disagreement here? Is there disagreement there with what I'm thinking over here, over there? And so I would encourage you to spend some time, carve out a little bit of time asking God where um, in your heart are you disagreeing with God? I think that's a really um, powerful way of looking at repentance um, is that we are coming back in alignment with God. I encourage you to do so this week at the beginning of our three weeks. Uh, and, then, and then from the story, this idea of limitations and obstacles has really popped out to me. I feel like it is really powerful that despite Zacchaeus's limitations and the obstacles in front of him, he still found a way to come to Jesus. And we see this story really played out in many different ways throughout the New Testament, uh, especially through the Gospels, that people are doing whatever they have to do to get to Jesus. They break through the crowd. They seek out Jesus. They come before him with this desire of wanting to ask him something or ask him to move, ask him to heal, ask him to get involved in their life. And that's what we have the power to do in prayer. Um, and so I'm going to do the same thing I'm going to ask you to do today and uh, over the next three weeks that we would be able to really ask God, where, what does it look like for me to climb that tree? What is that like for me? And what would that be like for you? What can I surrender, uh, give over to God for these next three weeks? What does this fast look like for me? I would encourage you to do the same, to look, ask, well, what does this fast look like for you? Um, and, and I do believe that after these three weeks, we're going to be able to come back and to be able to see how God met us in the ways that uh, we needed him most, just as we see in the story of Zacchaeus, just as we see in the Gospels, and as we'll also see in our lives. So I hope you've been encouraged today, and we look forward to really journeying the next three weeks um, through this time of dedicating this year to the Lord as we choose to seek him. And so go ahead. Um, 
you're not doing this alone. I feel like that's a powerful part. You're not doing this alone. I'm not doing this alone. We're doing this together. And so track along with the Instagram post that David's going to put up. Track along with the newsletter updates that we're going to have. Um, and Wednesdays, if you can, come and join us for worship and prayer. And know that this is uh, us as a body are going to be seeking after God, are going to be um, looking to him, asking him to move, asking us to show us in the ways that we need him most in our lives. So glad you guys were able to join us. We appreciate you guys. We value and you hope you have a great day.